church, let's pray together. I'm going to implore that in this moment you would surrender. And I know that's not the easiest thing to do. We're taught our whole lives to fight, to stand, that we have rights. And that's true in some avenues of life. But before the throne of God, we surrender. The throne of God is not just a specific place on this planet. The throne of God exists before you. And the choice is, do I bow or do I don't? And so today I'm praying that you would surrender. So let's pray together. Let me pray for you and with you. Jesus, our goal today is is to surrender. Not because we're exchanging surrender for something or, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna make you do something by our surrendering, Lord. We surrender because you are worthy to be surrendered to. You are good. As we sang earlier, you are good and you're never gonna let us down. We surrender to you today, Lord, not because you're a God who will manipulate us or, 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 or use us for your own end, but you're a God who loves us like a father loves a child. And so I pray today, Lord, that you would, if necessary, break our hearts that we might surrender. Not for the sake of breaking our hearts, not, not to bring us pain, but so that we might surrender fully to you, Lord. That we would give up all of our rights, that we would give up all of the things that we feel are due to us because in all honesty, what we need and desire truly is you. So I pray today, Lord, give us the gift of surrender that we might move and flow in your Holy Spirit today. That the words that are preached this morning would be more than just words or ideas, but it would be life to our bones, life to our soul. That, that our spirits would be renewed, that our flesh would be strengthened by you, Lord. That today would be an awesome and mighty day because Jesus was here with us. I pray for these things, Lord. I pray for this, mirac- this miraculous work. Nothing short of a miracle today, Lord. We are desiring from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? You may be seated. All right. So, well, you're not leaving yet. <laughs> so, you know, normally, give me one second here, folks. Normally, you go to a church, everything's so streamlined and perfect, and everybody is like where they're supposed to be. But we kind of, we, we have church in real life. I don't know about you guys. You guys ever do that thing? Now, nobody's ever done this, but I remember doing this as a kid. Like, people showed up unexpectedly. And so you gotta do the flight of the bumblebee to get the house in order. Like, oh my gosh, we gotta, we gotta put, hide the dishes. And, and, you, and you do that. Not, you guys probably never did that. But that was something that was pretty normal for us growing up. It's like, oh, people are coming over day before, te- you know, before texting and emails and you know, cell phones. Like people would just show up at your door and, and you'd have to be ready for that. Um, sometimes church in the morning is like that. We just deal with things as they come along. You know, we, we deal with uh, the issues that arise each and every day. And so I want you guys to know that uh, I hope there's no facade that like we're this elite group that's unapproachable and, you know, we just put on this air of, you know, we're perfect. Uh, we as the leadership here at the, at the church, we're far from it. And so we are literally just holding on to Jesus um, like one of those little kids that's holding on to a sheep during the mutton busting competitions. You ever see that? Like they're just holding on. They're like, oh, the little sheep just like, Arr. like that's what we're doing. We're holding on to Jesus with, for dear life. 
And, uh, <laughs> and so we're just, and, and, and honestly, shepherding you folks is life given to us. And we thank you for letting us do that. That being said, um, I said all that because we're a little shorthanded today and things are, uh, you know, we're all kind of filling in where we can this morning. Um, we're going to have uh, a moment of prayer in just a minute, but I'm going to go through a couple of announcements. The first is August the 20th. That is our baptism Sunday. August the 20th, uh, after service, we will go over to the Muir's house, 218 Prospect Street in Canastota. Everyone's welcome to come. Uh, we have a handful of, of people who are going to be baptized. Um, I've met with some of you. I have not met with other ones. Uh, if you guys could meet with me this week sometime, meet me after church today, and we'll, we'll discuss a time where we can get that done. But baptisms are fun. Baptisms are like birthdays. You don't get to do them all the time, but when they come around, it's fun to celebrate. So we're going to have a great time uh, August the 20th. And if you want to be baptized, rebaptized, rededicate your life to Jesus, if you fall into that category, any of those categories, then just let me know and we'll talk about it. Um, so that's August the 20th. Everybody say August the 20th. Okay, August the 26th is the next men's breakfast, but it's not men's breakfast. It's, we're calling it men's meat, or Justin's calling it men's meat. Uh, it's a BYOB type of thing. Bring your own booyah, bring your own beef. Uh, bring your own meat. If you're a vegetarian, bring your own vegetables. Um, and you'll be mocked relentlessly. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But that's going to be at Justin's house as well. 7 p.m. on the 26th. And uh, guys, if you want to attend, just talk to Justin if you need some more details. Um, and then our next big event after that is Labor Day weekend. September the 3rd, we're having the South Bay Chapel Family Reunion. And what I find is that in our community, if people don't uh, realize that we actually exist. Like some people would be like, yeah, I go to South Bay Chapel. I'm like, that's still a church? Like, yeah, we're still there. It never stopped being a church. Just come on down. Or you run into tons of people. Oh, I used to go there X amount of years ago. I used to go there at this time. And, you know, then I either moved or I went here or I went to another church. And so they're scattered all around. So this is a time where you can invite new folks, people who maybe no longer come to this church but want to visit just to see how the church is doing. We're having a family reunion, okay? The Bible, or the Bible speaks about how we as a body of Christ are not just a body of Christ, but we're the family of God. And so we're gonna go to Chapman Park right after service, September the 3rd. We have a pavilion reserved. Uh, there will be uh, fun activities or fun-tivities. And uh, we will have a potluck. You can bring any dish that you like, and it'll just be a great time. We'll have basketball for the basketball courts. Um, for those of you who have pets, there's a dog park. You can bring your dogs in. Now, that's separate from the pavilion, but hey, it's there. Um, uh, I thought my wife was talking about putting kids in the dog park. No. I don't know where I came up with that. Oh, okay, good. Okay, sounds good. Um, so that's September the 3rd. Everybody say September the 3rd. If you need any updates on these things, we are on Facebook. There's a board in the foyer that has all these things written down. All of you are welcome. Invite your friends, invite your family. Uh, it will just be, dare I say, a nanny. And I don't throw that word around lightly. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, we might even bring some guitars. Might even have some music while we're down there. I don't know, we'll see what happens. Um, those are our big announcements this morning. Oh, yes. Backpacks, how many of you, don't raise your hand, because seems boastful, but how many of you are ta have taken post-its from the foyer for backpacks for back to school? Um, 
If you haven't, go ahead and do so. A couple weeks ago, we had Kristen demonstrate. Uh, 15 minutes before church, she went to Walmart and for seven bucks bought everything that was needed on the list. This is not a huge investment of time or money, but you will bless a child and help them have a bit of a head start when they go to school. You'll help a family who is struggling to put food on the table, not have to worry about how are we gonna put food on the table and get school supplies for kids. I remember my generation was kind of the last generation where states were still fully funding schools. So I remember my teacher having to ration out paper at the end of the year. And I remember, uh, I remember my teacher having to buy stuff out of her own pocket for the kids in the class because so many of the kids came in there, couldn't afford uh, the stuff that they were needed for class. And then now, now it's just a regular thing. You go, you go to Walmart, you get your list and you gotta buy all this stuff. And so if we can just lighten the load for a few families here in Canastota, that'd be pretty awesome. And so if you can step up and do that, they're in the foyer, you can buy a box, uh, a box of crayons, you can buy the whole shebang, whichever one you wanna do, whatever level you're at uh, would be greatly appreciated. So don't, uh, don't be afraid to stretch yourself a little bit. Uh, and especially now is a good time because you can get boxes of crayons for like a quarter. I mean, are you serious? How's Crayola even still in business? Like a box of crayons for a quarter and glue sticks for like a nickel. Like you just, if you get it now, it's very, very cheap because it's the back to school push. Um, that being said, let's take up our tithes and offerings this morning. I, I love that our church, as, as, uh, as small as we are, we're a small, you know, country church. Uh, we are mighty when it comes to giving. It's, it's, uh, it, it surprises me whenever we have a special guest or uh, an event that we get behind, things like that, how much, uh, how much you guys just put forth. And I thank you guys for that because um, that's not you being convinced that's the Holy Spirit moving upon you to be generous. And I'm, and I'm thankful for that uh, Holy Spirit movement. Amen. So if you give today, uh, we thank you. We love you. Thank you so much for giving. Uh, you could give anywhere and you chose to give here. So we thank you for that. If you cannot give today, we love you. We're thankful that you're here. We're thankful that you're here at South Bay Chapel. God loves you no matter how much you give today. I cannot stress that enough. There is no Ponzi scheme where God loves you more if you give more money. That's not how it works. God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son before you ever gave a dime. And so if that's not a great example of love, I don't know what is. So let's pray today. Kids will go back to big kids church and regular church and we'll have a great day, amen? Father, take these offerings today and use them for your glory. Uh, I'm thankful that this part of the morning is not an exchange. We're not giving you money so you give us stuff. We are giving of our income because there is something that's happening here that we want to see continue. We want to see the kingdom of God grow by souls, not, not just by, by other people coming from other churches or not just, you know, people coming together as a club, but literal people giving their lives to you being changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus. And I thank you that you've always been faithful for 150 years or more here in this spot, you have been faithful. So I thank you for that, Lord. For those who give today, Lord, may you bless them abundantly. And for those who don't give or can't give, bless them abundantly as well. Your word is clear that those who have placed their faith in you are your children. I thank you that you're a good, good father. Indeed, that is who you are. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, before the kids go back, take a drink. I have three prayer requests. Um, James chapter five, and we've been in James chapter five for a couple of weeks now. 
tells us that if there's anyone who is sick, he actually asks this question, is any amongst you sick? And he says, let the church pray with them, let them anoint them with oil, and they will be healed. Here's what James doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us how, we'll be, how we will be healed. He doesn't say when we'll be healed. He doesn't say in what manner we'll be healed. He just says that we will be. And some folks will take that and manipulate it for their own gain. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for the sick this morning. Why? Because the, church, the Bible tells us to pray for the sick. First person we're going to pray for is Justin. Uh, at the risk of making them red in the face, they were at the ER all night, or at the VA all night last night. Justin's had some issues with his neck. And it's been going on for a while now. I mean, we have, we've heard Justin's story and how he served our country and uh, you know, was blown off a wall and suffered a head injury and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and I, when I first met Justin, he was, he was a, a shadow of the man he is today. God has done such great things in his life, but this is the battle he's fighting right now. And so the Bible tells us, pray for those who are sick. Justin's sick, we're gonna pray for him. We're gonna pray for Vi. Vi's not here, but Vi yesterday at Whitelaw Old Home Day, she collapsed and was taken to the ER. I can't find Vi. <laughs> I, I tried to find her. The hospital said she wasn't there. I called her house. She wasn't there. So I don't know where she is. So if you guys can find Vi, um, I would greatly appreciate that. Uh, but we'll pray for her even though she's not here. And then we're going to pray for somebody named Bonnie. And many of you don't know Bonnie. I, 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 I'm an acquaintance with Bonnie. I worked at the ARC with Bonnie years ago. But Bob and Lisa, if you don't know Bob and Lisa, uh, you know who she is. Um, her husband unexpectedly passed away yesterday. Um, he had been sick, but not so sick that you would suspect that he's going to die yesterday. Um, and so, of course, Bonnie is heartbroken. Bob and Lisa are very good friends with Bonnie, and they're heartbroken as well. And so they've asked us to pray, and so we're going to go ahead and do that. And then also, uh, Matt, your sister texted me this morning, but I didn't get a chance to read it, about somebody who needs prayer in your family. Okay. All right, well, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for him. Does anybody else need prayer today? Mark? Um, a good friend of mine's mother, uh, David Mark's mom, just got diagnosed with stage 4 cancer last week. Oh, jeez. Okay. What? Yeah, we can go back to Cal so he doesn't have to walk up here. But we'll start up here and then we'll move our way back. Now, what I'm going to invite you to do now, so we'll take this in two stages. First, we'll pray for those people who are in the building, like Justin and Cal. Um, and then we'll, we'll end it with prayers for people who aren't here physically, but they're here with us in, in love. Um, does anybody else need prayer today? Samantha? Okay. Okay. Yes? Okay. All right. Anyone else? Anything else? All right, let's pray. So for those of you who can come up to Justin, let's pray for Justin. Now, here's what James teaches us. Pray and anoint with oil. The oil is not magic. The oil, I believe, is medicinal. I believe that in James' day and age, oil, like essential oils today, had medicinal purposes. We are doing both. We are doing the spiritual and the physical here today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you and we pray for Justin as your word describe, or prescribes for us to do. As we anoint him with oil, we pray for healing in his neck, spine, back, for everything that has been broken, ha that has been stressed, for mental and physical uh, affliction, Lord. We are praying in the name of Jesus for healing. I am thankful that, that uh, 
you love Justin. You love him as much as you love anybody. That he is your son through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray for healing. We pray for strength. We pray for peace. And we pray for your love to be poured out upon him in such a way that you renew his, his, his flesh. You renew his spirit. You renew his soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, we're going to pray for Cal. And you guys can... Well, I'll go this way, I guess. All right. All right. Lord God, we praise you. As we anoint Cal with oil, we pray for healing as well. We pray for healing in his foot. I thank you for the progress and the work that you've already done, Lord. I'm thankful that uh, you have now for the second time successfully brought healing to Cal's foot. I'm praying now, Lord, that it would heal completely, that he'd be free of complications, that, uh, that he would be strengthened so that as he moves from this place of having the cast removed, that there'd be strength in his bones, strength in his tendons, and strength in all the parts of his feet and leg, Lord, that were affected by the surgery. Thankful that you are doing a good work in Cal, and we are so hopeful and thankful for what you're doing. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Father God, for those who we have prayed for today who aren't here in the building, for uh, Samantha's brothers and for the ones that have been diagnosed and for the prayer requests that Mark brought and for all the ones that weren't mentioned and for all the ones that today aren't here, but we pray for them because there is no distance in the spirit, Lord. We pray healing, we pray for peace, and we pray for the love of Christ to be paramount in their lives today, Lord. Wherever they're at, may they be strengthened, Lord. For Bonnie, as she is suffering through the loss of her husband, give her the peace that comes only from your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, may you be glorified in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, guys. may have a seat. Kids, now you can go back. What's up? Well, Justin and Kristen are here now, so talk to them. They might not be happening. You got to talk to them. I may have uh, spoken out of turn. All right. All right. Maybe seated. Kids, you can go back. A reminder of our small groups on Wednesday. 6 p.m. at the Kessler, 7 p.m. here at the church for Bible study. Uh, we'll be finishing up um, our Wednesday night Bible study this week on the book of James. And, uh, and if anybody wants to come out here or to the, the, the Kessler's house, that'd be awesome. Okay, so how many of you here like to work with your hands? I love working. I've been working with my hands since I was a little boy. It started with cooking. My mom taught me and let me cook at a very early age. Um, boiling water, uh, anything from boiling water to, you know, making spaghetti, making my own lunch, things like that. My mom was not afraid to let me uh, use the stuff in the kitchen. And then later on in life, I got a job as a cook in a restaurant and uh, got burns all over my hands and cut myself and, you know, scalded myself with water. You know, in a kitchen, everything is sharp or hot. And so um, if you've ever worked in a restaurant, you know that, man, that's, that's a, tough, uh, that's a tough place to work if you don't know what you're doing. Um, when I was 18, I started playing guitar. And when I started playing guitar, it was really hard, not just because you have to form your hand in certain formations to produce chords and things, but your fingertips aren't ready for the, str- the steel of the strings. And so because your fingers are so tender, 
um, it hurts for a while. And then you begin to build a callus. And here recently, um, I've gotten into woodworking. Now I'm just getting my feet wet. My inner Ron Swanson's just kind of coming out, but I, I, I love woodworking. Like I didn't even know it was there. I'm 30, gonna be 39 years old this month. And I never knew how much I loved woodworking. Now I'm online, I'm looking for a lathe, I'm looking for belt sanders and jigsaws and all kinds of stuff. I'm watching YouTube videos and if you fought, there's things I follow on Facebook where guys are making stuff out of other stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I wanna, I wanna do that. Learn how to stain and sand and everything. But what I've learned in all three phases is that one of the biggest setbacks is not having your hands ready for that particular task. In cooking, if you're not used to the heat of a kitchen or the sharpness of a knife, it catches you off guard. In playing guitar, if your fingers aren't ready, if you, if you don't have that muscle memory, you, you, don't, you can't perform or make it sound as beautiful as you want it to sound. And in woodworking, one wrong move and uh, you're gonna lose a finger or your wife's gonna be opening up the ketchup for you for the rest of your life. What you have to do is grow callous to what you're doing. You know, today there are things where I do in the kitchen, the heat doesn't bother my hands like it would some people. You know, my son goes in there, he's like, oh, that's too hot. And I'm like, I'm just used to it. I'm not bragging, just, I'm just, you do it a thousand times, you'll grow callous to it. And in these walks, in these different avenues, that's a good thing. The problem is, have you ever had your hands so callous that you don't realize you hurt yourself? You do something and you're like, blah, 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 and you're like, oh, I'm bleeding. But I didn't know that because I don't have any feeling there anymore. I've developed such a callus or such a, 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 a conditioning to my hands or any part of your body really that you don't even realize, you don't feel that pain like a, a normal person would or another person would. The problem with developing calluses is that you can lose feeling. The calluses are literally your body protecting, it, protecting itself from repeated discomfort. Now, for working with our hands, that's okay, but with, when it's our soul and our spirit, we have to be so very careful to not grow callous. And today, what I'm gonna do is hopefully, through the word of God, be so abrasive that if there's a part of today's message that you've grown callous to, that's gonna be rubbed off today. And that means, you know, if you've ever rubbed off a callus or had it kind of like, like ground, it's not exactly the most comfortable thing in the world, but it leaves you in a place of rebirth, if you will, a place of renewal, regeneration. So turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to start there. Uh, Pastor Mike couldn't be here today. They're picking up his mother-in-law, um, but I listened to his message this week. What a phenomenal message he gave last week. I just felt the Holy Spirit move as I was watching. Thankful for technology so I could watch. Uh, so many of the things that he said, uh, you know, launched me into this message that we're going to have today. And so I can't thank Pastor Mike enough for being so faithful to the Word of God uh, last week. And if you were blessed last week, make sure you let him know. And try to give him a hug and let me know how that goes. Okay. First John chapter 4. Verse 17, picking up where Pastor Mike left off. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, your word is good and your word is to be declared and your word is to be heard and followed. And so we're praying today, Lord, I don't want to be your editor. I do not want to be your publicist. I simply want to just say all these things and let your Holy Spirit do the work that needs to be done. Father, I thank you that as Paul says, you know, we don't come with slick words. We don't come with uh, a, a salesmanship. We just declare the gospel of Jesus that all might be saved. And I pray for that today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So the thing that I think we might have grown really callous to is something that John just spoke of. If, you, if we read it too fast, you may have just missed it. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. I'm gonna stop right there. The idea of judgment, you say that you do anything that even remotely resembles judgment in the world and you're gonna be slapped with Matthew 7, judge not lest ye be judged. And most people are gonna leave it right there and nothing's going to happen. We as humans do not like the idea of judgment. We don't like someone coming and saying, what you're doing is either wrong, unbiblical, unprofitable, disrespectful, detrimental to you or your family. We don't like that. I mean, we don't like it when it's a good thing, but when it's a bad thing, we get defensive. And then we, we, we well, who are you? If, if nobody's perfect, then how come you can tell me that? And we find ourselves, if we're on the other end of that and we're telling somebody something that seems judgmental, we're left in a place of hypocrisy. You know, if we, if we tell our children not to do drugs when we did drugs, well, we sound like a hypocrite. If we, if we tell our children not to be promiscuous and not to, to, to have sexual relationships with just anybody, to, to reserve that part of their life for marriage, and, but we didn't do that, well, then we're hypocrites. Well, yeah, we're hypocrites in a sense, but we also have an education, right? We have something that we can impart to somebody. We can tell them, look, we played with fire and we got burned by it. And so don't think, don't be so naive to think that you'll play with fire and not get burned as well. We have thousands of years of human history to bank on, to look back to and say, look, everybody who's ever done this thing ends up in the same way. And so we're not being judgmental in the sense that we are determining whether that person will go to hell or not. We are simply calling a spade a spade. If something is sin, then it's a sin. And we're not going to try to fancy it up or doctor it up and make it seem like it's not a sin. So when folks come to us and say, well, is this a particular thing is a sin? Well, we, well, what does the word of God say? Let's start there. And we kind of just let the Lord speak for himself. If there's something he doesn't want us to do or something he'd rather us do, then we let him tell us. Just as a, as a side note, when this sermon series is over, we're starting a new sermon series called Ask Your Pastor. And we've done this for the last couple of years. We're gonna start, you're gonna start submitting questions on a Sunday morning or on Facebook. Any question you might have about uh, Jesus, the Bible, his church, your walk with him, you are free to ask. And what I like about this sermon series is that uh, it, it's like putting my finger on your guys' pulse to find out what you really wanna know. Like pastors have a problem sometimes where we... Um, we a answer the question that nobody's asking. <laughs> and I don't want to do that. I want to answer the question that everybody's asking. I, wanna, I, want, 
I want to know what you guys are troubled with. I want to know what you guys wrestle with and then find out what the word of God says about that. But speaking about judgment, we can grow so callous to it that we forget that one day the Bible tells us we'll stand before God to be judged by God. That our works will be weighed out. The Bible speaks about how every idle word that we say will be called into account. I don't know about you, but I've said a lot of stupid things. <laughs> I've said a lot of things that I know when I stand before the Lord someday, I'm going to be like, ah, I, 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 should, I should not have said that. That was, you are right, Lord. That is not something I should have said. <laughs> now, before we get confused, you might be thinking, well, isn't my salvation based on grace, not what I've done? Yes, and we're not talking about salvation. Your salvation relies upon not your effort, but the effort of the Lord and what he's done on the cross for you. But the Bible tells us that our works will still be weighed out. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But John says that there's a day coming where there will be judgment. Now, here's three points to judgment I want to point out. Number one, everyone will stand before God. Everyone, you, me, your grandma, Billy Graham, everybody will stand before the Lord one day. Everyone will stand before him and give an account of their life. There's no one outside of that. If you've thought that maybe, oh, you know, that won't really happen to me. It's only going to happen to the bad people. No, no, the Bible's very clear. All of us will. I read a, a, a staggering statistic this week. 70 plus percent of Americans believe in hell, a literal hell. But 0.5%, a half of a percent believe they'll go there. 70% of people in our country today, some 300 million people, do the math, that's like what, 210 million people believe in a literal hell, but half of 1%, I don't even know the math on that, believe of that 70%, believe that they'll actually go there. I don't believe, and we'll talk about this in a moment, that I will be going to hell because of my faith in Christ. But I believe that there is a literal hell hell. The Bible speaks of it. Jesus affirms it. It's not something we can kind of get around. We have to negate entire chunks of the Bible to declare a non-hell gospel. I don't preach hell to scare people. There are many people who have given their life to Jesus, and the only thing that got them there was the fear of hell. And I would say there's much better reasons to give, their, give your life to Jesus today. But if it takes the fear of hell then so be it. I pray that if that was your mentality, well, I don't want to go to hell, so I better get on team Jesus. Well, then God's going to take you from that place of fear into a place of security. He's going to take you to a place where you no longer fear hell. You know that it exists. You don't deny its existence, but you know that it's there. And you're not comfortable with the idea of people dying in eternal torment, but you understand that a just God has prescribed that for those who deny him. Now, no one gets out. If that causes fear in you today, um, I want you to kind of like fold the page of that corner of your mind and we'll get back to that in just a minute. But everybody, point number one, when it comes to judgment, everyone will stand before God. Number two, our works do not save us from judgment. They are the evidence of what we truly believe. Um, we can tell people all day that we're Christians, that we believe the Bible, Jesus is the son of God but our actions prove what we believe. If we say one thing, but our actions do something else, then our actions kind of betray us. 
our actions confess what we truly believe. Well, I believe that, you know, uh, this is the, let, let's just use something really rudimentary. Uh, I believe that this is the best restaurant. Pick a restaurant, whatever. But you never eat there. You never go there. You, you, you complain about it if you do. Well, that's not really your favorite restaurant. Just kind of made that up. Oh, I love my wife with all my heart. I just never spend time with her. I never say it to her. I never do anything for her, but man, I love her with all my heart. Do you see kind of the error in that? I would do anything for my kids except spend time with them and teach them and rear them and discipline them. Um, maybe you like the idea of kids or the idea of a wife or idea of a husband, but you're not showing love to that particular person. A loving father, a loving husband, a loving wife, you'll see them doing those things. And it's the same with the Lord. We can profess our love for the Lord all day long, but when we betray him by not following what his word says, by not yielding to his spirit, by not coming into submission to his word, our actions prove what we truly believe. And so the judgment that we will all stand before will be that final eye-opening moment you know, there's that, that parable that Jesus gives of uh, the folks who come before the throne and, you know, he says something like, I'm going to paraphrase, but he's like, you know, uh, you visited me when I was sick. You gave me water to drink. And they're like, when did we do that? Whenever you did that for those who needed it, right? And then uh, he, he tells the other ones, you know, get away from me. You know, you, 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 I never knew you, you workers of iniquity, because they cast out demons in his name and they did this in his name, but they didn't truly love him. They did all these great spiritual looking things, but they didn't truly love the Lord. And so the Lord says, get away from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I hope that you hear that now and not then. Now, I don't want you to hear that. I'm not like, I hope everybody hears that you're a worker of iniquity and get away from me. No, what I want you to hear is maybe, maybe I don't believe what I profess. I don't believe what I'm saying. I believe something else and my actions prove it. And so that today you can go before the Lord and repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Like I've been saying one thing, but acting another way and I want it to be the same. I believe that when the book of Revelation, when Jesus calls out the church in Laodicea, I believe that that's the idea of being lukewarm, saying one thing and, and doing another. And you're vacillating and not really being a true follower. He's like, I'd rather you be cold or hot. Be all on one side or all on the other. This middle ground business just isn't working for me. And so the judgment seat, the last day, the standing before God will reveal what we truly believe. Number three, you will go to be with Jesus in his eternal glory or to hell separated from Christ and experience God's wrath. And I will add to that, you will do so needlessly. The folks who will end up in hell and we don't rejoice in that thought. We don't celebrate that idea. For us, if we were to, like for me, I, if I express that those who, who reject Christ all of their life die in their sin, then we'll go to be with hell. I don't say that with, with, a, with a full heart. I don't, I don't say it with a great big smile on my face. Yeah, you're going to hell. It's like, ah, why? Why would we needlessly go there when God has done everything to reconcile us to him? He wants you. He desires you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for you to show you that he wants you. And so today, one of my biggest beliefs or one of the biggest reasons why I believe in hell besides the word of God describing it and, and, and giving it to us is that 
people through their efforts show that that's truly what they want. They reject Christ, and so they choose this other path. There's only two paths. We choose one or the other. Now, if we grow callous to this, we sort of forget and begin to operate in a way that starts to negate judgment in hell. We grow callous to it. And so today we gotta rub that off. We gotta get back to the fact that yes, there is a day coming where there will be judgment and we have got to be ready for that day. Now, John will say that the fear of this should be non-existent in your life. Now, we're not talking about living under the pressure of, oh, God's gonna just annihilate me one day in judgment. John says very clearly that agape love casts that out. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. John, throughout this chapter and throughout the book, he keeps referring back to this agape love. Agape, love feast, love poured out, undeserved, unmerited by the person you're giving it to. You're just giving it to them because they're there and you want to show them love. And consistently and continuously, John goes back to that word. It's a word that the Christian authors of the Bible invented, they created, because there was no human word in the Greek language that fully encompassed God's love. Anybody here, uh, I believe it's the etymology, if that's the right, uh, that's the correct word. The, the origin of the word nerd, does anybody know where that word comes from? It was a word invented by Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss wrote a book, I believe it's called If I Had a Zoo or If I Got a Zoo or Ran a Zoo, something, something about a zoo. He speaks of all these different animals and in his very Dr. Seussian way, refers to one of the animals as a nerd. In 1950, that's the first time that word gets used. I don't think that Dr. Seuss was looking to start a whole cultural movement. He was just using a funny word to describe a funny animal that he was concocting in this funny story. Fast forward a few years, nerd becomes synonymous with geeky, pocket protector, tape on the glasses, buck teeth, funny haircut, science and math wizard type guys. Move forward a little bit more, Star Trek, Trekkie, Dungeons and Dragons, sitting in my my mom's basement playing video games all day. Fast forward some more, something happens. Now nerd culture is all of a sudden hip. Now everybody's like, yeah, I'm a, this nerd, I'm a, this, to the point where I know last week Pastor Mike said it, and I've said it before, we call ourselves Bible nerds. A word created, used to fully and better describe a particular type of person. It's exactly what the writers did. There was this love that, you know, romantic love and brotherly love. It just wasn't, it wasn't enough. So they had to create a word to fully describe the love that Christ has for us. This agape, this this pouring out of love. And John says that that agape love does some stuff, some stuff rather in our lives. Number one, it gives us confidence. Confidence in the day of judgment. Now, the bad way to take this is you need to have more self-esteem and more confidence in yourself. Nah. Beware of gospels that always point back to you. This life is not all about you. This life is not all about me. It's not all about us feeling better about ourselves. I believe that if you give your life to Jesus and you start walking with him, you will feel better about yourself. But that's not the end game. It will be a byproduct of the end game. The end game is to glorify Jesus in your life, to to love him and to serve him fully, to fully commit yourself to him. 
So when John speaks about having confidence, it's not about you just waking up and walking a little straighter every day or feeling like, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm on top of this. I'm, I'm number one and I'm the best. It's not, it's not that kind of confidence. It's the confidence to stand before the Lord in the day of judgment, not because your works will be weighed and measured and then you'll be found worthy, but because Jesus will be seen and you will be seen in him. And the love that he has shown you will cast out the fear and bring in the confidence. Our confidence is not in us. Our confidence is in him. We can confidently stand before the Lord because we are confident in what our Lord has done for us. It's no longer about our performance. It's no longer about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. Number two, it casts out fear. You know, when you, when you fish, it's the only other time we really use that word cast. It's like you just, phew. the idea is that Fear is here, but perfect love, this agape love comes in and just propels it out of here. It just launches it right out of your life. If we are experiencing fear, now we're not talking about uh, legitimate fear. Like uh, if you have a spider about yay big in your house, uh, you should be afraid of that and you should find a way to get rid of it. Um, If you rock out onto Route 31 and there's cars coming at you at 70 or 80 miles per hour and you're like eh i'm fine like you should be afraid of that like if you're gonna cross that you should be like okay no cars coming and then just take off as fast as you can that's not the fear we're talking about here we're talking about fearing god and his wrath the wrath that that we've justly earned now we no longer fear that because that wrath was poured out upon jesus see we no longer fear God punishing us for our sins because Jesus has already been punished for our sins. There's no need for us to be punished again. Will we be disciplined? Of course we will. God loves us. He's going to rear us like you rear your children. We're just, he's gonna make sure that we don't wander out in the street or burn ourselves or you know, stick our fingers in the proverbial light socket of life. He's gonna keep us and he's gonna, you know, there's gonna be times where we're gonna feel some pain, but it'll be to show us the truth or the reality of what we're in. Verse 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, I spoke about this before. You know, when you work with, in the kitchen, hot metal, boiling water, sharp knives. I mean, you can't sit there and be afraid of everything, right? But you have to respect it. This knife could literally cut off one of my fingers, but if I use it correctly, it's gonna make my job a lot easier. So I have to respect my tool. I have to respect it, but I can't be afraid of it. How many of you, ever, how many of you have ever used a tool and had fear in you and then you end up doing the thing that you feared you were going to do? It's this weird way our minds work. Like, oh, I don't, I don't wanna cut myself. I don't wanna cut myself. Oh, I cut myself. Because we were so focused on not cutting ourselves. Oh, I don't wanna burn myself. I, don't, I burn myself. But if you go in there like, okay, that's what I got to do. Chop, 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 bing, 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 brrr. Like you just do it. Woodworking, a- any other thing you do with your hands, if you sit there and think about it too long, fear starts to grow and then you become almost paralyzed by it. Now we don't have to fear the Lord, but we have to respect him. Okay, you are God, I am not. Let's, let's operate right there. If you still fear punishment, even after you've given your life to Jesus, then something's wrong. What I mean by that, I don't mean that you're wrong or you're doing it wrong. What I mean is, 
If perfect love, the perfect love of Christ has been shown to you through Jesus, if that has not quenched the fear of God's punishment, then something's happened. Or something hasn't happened, rather. If perfect love casts out fear, then at some point you have to let fear go. The fear of God's punishment. God has chosen to love you to pour your punishment upon his son rather than pour it out upon you. And so for you to fear that is now needless. And you may have to learn to walk in that confidence. We just talked about that a second ago. But I want you today, I want, I want today to be the day where you begin to, a new journey of walking outside or away from that fear. Number three, this agape love empowers us to love. Verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. It's, it's the reason and the power behind why we do what we do. Agape love is impossible apart from Jesus. You might pull it off for a while, but if you're continuously pouring yourself out and never being poured back into, at some point you're going to burn out. At some point you're just going to give up because, because you're an empty bucket and your bucket's not been filled and you won't have any more love to give. The, the whole point of agape love is that you're pouring it out as though it's never going to end. And if you don't have someone pouring into you, namely Jesus, then you're not going to have any more love to give. At some point, the well will run dry. And this love that God has for us is that love that enables us. It fills our bucket. Our purpose and our identity and who we are is built upon the fact that Christ loved us first. I watch TV and movies and music and, and you people and people out in the community and I watch so many of you and you're struggling because your identity is wrapped up in a thing. Something you do, something, someplace you came from, something, you something that you, you, you really are attracted to. So much of your identity is wrapped up in that thing. And if your identity, who you think you are, who you believe you are, is wrapped up in a thing, I guarantee you one day that thing will be removed because the Lord is in the process of creating your identity in him. Now, now you are who you are based on the foundation of Jesus, not because you grew up in a certain place or because your, your heritage is from here. We talked about uh, the prophet Elijah on Wednesday. The prophet Elijah is an interesting character of the Bible because he has no, he has no origin story. He just shows up in 1 Kings chapter 17, and then there was Elijah, the Tishbite. Nobody even knows what a Tishbite is. Like it might be like this thing over here. It might be a city. Maybe that's where he's from, but we don't really know. He, just show, he has no origin story. Now today, if you watch like superhero movies, it's all about the origin story. How did Iron Man become Iron Man? How did Superman become Superman? How did Batman become Batman? The origin story gets us. I'm like, oh, origin. Elijah has no origin story. You know what that says to me? Your past doesn't have to be your identity. What's happened to you before the moment that you met Jesus can be used as a building block, but it's no longer really who you are. I was, I was a drunkard. I was, you know, I was abusive. I was mean. That's who I am. No, that's who you were. And God has taken that out of you ever so painstakingly. He has removed. Well, I was, I was quick to anger. Okay. And I, and I still am. Yeah. God's going to change that about you. Well, I'm, I'm really into sports. I'm really into this. I'm really into that. And that's my identity. Well, that's a really shaky ground to build your life upon. 
But we, we are going to do our best to let the Lord serve us, like clear that away, just and build us a new identity that is in him. And then we will go and we'll enjoy these things no longer as an idol, we'll enjoy them as they are to be enjoyed. When you begin to worship Christ as he is to be worshiped, all the things around you and the people as well are no longer tools to be used to make you feel better about yourself, but they're things to just be enjoyed. When your idol is food and food is your, 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 your comfort and food is your emotional, you know, sort of uh, catharsis or, or the way that you uh, get over things, well, then you're making an idol of food. But when Jesus is the one that gets you through these things. He provides the, the, the healing. It's not about emotionally eating. Now it's about emotionally going to him and allowing him to, to hear you and to heal you. Well, now food is just something to enjoy now, something to fill the tank and, wow, that tasted really good, but I don't worship that anymore. And it's the same thing with sex and it's the same thing with television and it's the same thing with music and relationships. They're no longer our idols to sacrifice our life to because it's no longer our identity wrapped up in those things. If you will solve the identity crisis in your life, like 95% of the problems you're experiencing, it's not that they go away, they now no longer are insurmountable. It's like, oh, wait, if that thing doesn't happen, then I'm okay. Because that's not all about me. That, that thing not happening in my life, if I don't get that money or get that health or get that thing or get this promotion or get that family or get that child or get that husband or get that wife, if I don't get those things, I'll be okay because I have Jesus and my identity starts there and is finished there. And should I get these other things? Woo, that's awesome. You know, if you, we've had like, I don't know, where are we at? Like 300 babies this year at this church? I don't know, I've lost count a long time ago. There's so many pregnant women coming in and out of this church at any given time. I can't even keep track of them. Oh, and I'm rejoicing. I'm not, I'm not knocking that at all. I think it's awesome. And they're all little boys and in my mind, you know, warriors of God and they're coming out and they're ready. And, and I think uh, Tobias actually is almost walking now. He's like three months, but he's almost walking. He's just big, strong boy. But my point is just like, that's, that's awesome. Secret. Oh, secret. I don't know why I said all that. So I'm going to backtrack now. Love. <laughs> love good, sin bad, fire bad. Okay. Number three was empowers us to love. Number four, to see beyond this moment. Verse 20 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Don't you love when the Bible calls you a liar? Like, nobody has that as their life verse. For he who does not love his brother whom he can, uh, excuse me, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. I, I don't know, like, where you're at. But in my experience in walking with Jesus, I have not physically seen him with my eyes. Like, oh, I see his, his hand in things and all the Christian metaphors we use. But to see him standing face to face, even the Bible says, Paul says to the Corinthian church, we see like through a mirror dimly right now, but there's a day coming where we'll see him face to face. That day is not here right now. We, we're, it's like we're looking through a, a dim, darkened, smudgy, not so great mirror. We see his form, but we don't see every detail. When we profess to love Jesus above all things, he's our all in all and all that, but then we don't love our brothers or sisters in Christ, 
John says, you're a liar. We're liars. How can you love a God whom you have not seen when you can't love your brother who you see all the time? The agape love of God empowers you to love your brother and the one you cannot see who is Jesus. That's easy to say. Oh, I, can lo- I-, I love Jesus. But how do you treat your... Now, loving your brother or your sister is tangible evidence that you love God. Remember a moment ago, we talked about the judgment before God. That'll prove what we truly believe. Well, we have evidences like this as well. If you say you love God and then we see you and you're like loving other people, you're serving them, you're putting their needs before yours, then we step back and we go, you know what, they might be, they might be telling the truth. But if you say, oh yeah, I love Jesus, and then we go and we see you driving and you're cutting off people, you know, you're making hand gestures as you go by, you're waving, but not with all your fingers, you know, you're, 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 you're being rude to the cashier at Walmart because she wronged you and gave you the wrong change or didn't give you your, your, your last bag. And she's getting like, you know, what is it, like nine bucks an hour and you're like, Wah! and you're like being mean to her. Or, you know, the uh, kids spilled the milk and you're like, oh, you spilled the milk. Wah! Or you go to church and somebody takes your seat in the pew. I sit there, that's my seat. I mean, you're thinking that. You're not saying, oh, good to see you this morning. Oh, love you so much. Our actions betray us. Our actions show what we truly believe. And John says, if you, if you say you love God, but you can't love your brother, then you can't love God. If the person standing before you, if you can't love them, then there's no way you have the capacity to love somebody who you cannot see. Agape love enables us to do that. We can pretend. We as humans, we're really good at pretending, right? I mean, we can pretend all day long. But when the rubber meets the road and it starts to cost us something, pretending goes out the window, right? Well, I'm this or I'm that. Well, there's going to be a high cost to it. Oh yeah, that's not really me. So the command, the following, the, 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 the flow of this is verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, that's from Jesus, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, I'm trying to think like, okay, this is gonna sound really weird, but I'm trying to think of like from God's perspective. Not that I'm God, that just sounds really weird, but just go with me for a second. I'm trying to think from God's perspective. If he's all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect, and we're sinners, and we deserve his wrath, and then he gives this command to love other people, it should be enough that he has commanded it, right? I mean, if he's all everything, and he says to do something, then we should just do it, because, well, he's made the command. We're in submission to him, and if he tells us to go, we go. When he tells us to stop, we stop. I mean, there shouldn't be a lot of questioning behind it. Like, why? Why do we have to, why do we have to love? Um, I wish we were people that didn't ask the why. But if you're like me, you ask why. Well, why? Why? Why do I? Why, why is that a command? Why do I have to do that? Um, God doesn't just tell us what to do. He then turns around and gives us the power to do whatever he commands us to do. It's like if you tell your kid, go clean your room, and then you go up to the room with them, 
And you pick up like 95% of what's in their room. And then you're all done. You're like, yeah, you cleaned your room. And they're like, yeah, I cleaned my room. And you're like, you didn't really clean your room, but I helped you. I did most of the work. You went up there. You told them where to put stuff. You showed them where things went. No, you don't put the dirty clothes under the bed. You take them out. You take them down and put them in the hamper. You know, you take that sandwich that you left on your nightstand. You take it, you throw that away and you put your toys back in the box. And, and just imagine if at some point they got tired and you were able to impart some of your power to them so they could keep going. No, we can't do that part. But see, that's where God's different than us. Hey, go and love your brother. Oh, but I can't because have you met my brother? Yeah, so here's a lot of love for him. Here's the love you need to give to that brother right now. Give it to him. Oh, okay. Go do that thing, and here's the power to go and do that thing. Here's, here's the ability, here's the wherewithal so that you can go and love your brother. We're not left as orphans. We're not people who are just like, God's like, hey, go do this, and check back with me later. He's like, go do this. Here, let me go show you how to do it. Let me go with you. This is the job of the church. I believe that in our country right now, our country specifically, um, the church is not the example of godly love that it's supposed to be. We are known more for what we are against than what we are for. We are known more for what we are against than for our relationship with Jesus. And I'm not saying you throw one out and adopt the other. What I'm saying is it should be both. It shouldn't just be one or the other. It should be, we should be known because we follow Jesus and we show love and people see that emanating from it. We cannot expect this from the world, this godly agape love. They're incapable of doing so. And to expect them to do so is unreasonable. But you'll find here that John is not addressing the world. He's addressing the church. He's using the terms like brother. See, we're not brothers with the whole world. We're not sisters with the world. We're brothers and sisters with each other. And so we, as the church, as the body of Christ, whether it's South Bay Chapel or the, the community of churches in Canastota or upstate New York or America, we must be the example of agape love to the world. We've experienced it through Christ and now we must show it to the world. They must see us love each other so that they can be confounded by the fact that somebody's pouring out love to somebody else and not receiving anything in return. Well, they don't appreciate it. Well, that's not agape love. That's an exchange. I do nice things and you say thank you so I feel good about myself. That's not agape love. We are a conduit. We're a channel. God pours out love to us. We pour out love to others, to each other, and to the world, but first to ourselves, first to the body of believers, first to the, the family of God. We're a conduit, a channel. You cannot separate loving God from loving others. And so, you know, we don't have this luxury of telling the whole world what to do. We barely follow what we say, right? How many of you tell your friends, your family, your kids, your husband, your wife, to do things that you yourself are just struggling to do? I mean, that's just who we are. I mean, we get it. You should, you should eat this, not that. Well, what are you eating? That. I'm just talking about for you. You go do that. 
We're really good at that. We could, we, oh, the church should do this. Oh, the church should do that. I'm the church. You're the church. What do you think the church should be doing? Start doing that. Well, the church should love each other. Okay, then start loving each other. Oh, the church should serve. Then serve. If the church is not a building, if the church is not limited by walls that surround us, if you are the church, the body of Christ, then it's you and Jesus. That's where you start. Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do I love and serve these people? How do I love and serve my community? And you start there. Start with you being changed and watch how dramatically the world changes around you. We stand here today as Christians, not because Paul went around saying, the church should be this way, but because he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Look at what I'm doing and then do it. Look at how I'm following Christ. It's the same thing that's been prescribed for centuries. Continue in that. If you hear a different gospel, throw it out. This is the gospel, that Jesus Christ loved you way before you ever even got out of bed. Before you even knew Christ, the Bible says, he died for you. Start with Jesus. Lord, what do I do? I'll give you a couple of steps. And, and there's no formula here. These are just things that, they should just always be there. I, I don't care if you're on top of the mountain or in the bottom of the valley. Always do these things and you'll be amazed at what will happen in your life. Number one is repent. Repentance is walking one way and then doing a complete 180 the other direction. I was walking towards drinking myself into oblivion because I can't deal with the pressures of life. But you know what I'm going to do? Bam, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to walk towards Jesus. You know, I was going to walk towards that, uh, you know, towards the sub shop and get myself a foot-long sub to kind of ease the pain of what I'm going through. But, you know, instead I'm going to repent. I'm going to go back this way. Let me rephrase all of that. Lord, I have gone to the drink. I have gone to the sub shop or the pizza shop or, or, or I have gone shopping or I have done this and I have found the emptiness of it. I have found that now I'm just more in debt or more unhealthy or, or, or more overweight and nothing has changed. And so now I repent. The grace for you to repent already exists. You're not asking for it. It's there already. Lord, I repent. I walk back towards you. I need real healing. I need real response. I need real transformation today. Not just a new system to manipulate, but I need you. Start, I mean, repentance. Being loved. It's real easy to go, oh, love other people. But see, if I tell you all to love other people, that means we all have to accept love from other people too, right? I mean, if I tell you love people and then you come up to me and like, hey, Pastor Tony, I want to do this. And I'm like, no, like, don't love me. I'm not worthy. Like the equation gets messed up, right? You go and try to give somebody a meal. And they're like, get out of here. You're like, geez, I'm just trying to love you. There has to be this giving and receiving. You learn real fast that the giving is even better than re the receiving. But receiving's not bad. Oh, I just want to come mow your lawn. No, I, 
I'll do it. I'll get to it. I no, I just, I want to show you, I want to show you love. And I'm like, all right, fine. I'll let you do that and exercise love. Be forgiven. Show of hands. How many people have done things that they don't want to have to tell Jesus about? Brave. Oh, of course he knows. We know that he knows, but we hope he doesn't know. We, we, we pretend he doesn't know. Well, if I just do it over here, nobody will see me. Jesus. But how many of us, even when we, we, we are brave enough to say, Lord, this is what I've done, really feel forgiven? Feelings are fleeting. Feelings are sometimes, you know, they, they can be there, but sometimes they're not, and we have to operate in this place of, I don't feel it, but I know it's true. I don't feel like God has forgiven me, but the word says that if I have in faith come to him and ask for forgiveness, that he's faithful to forgive. And so at some point, we have to accept, Lord, Lord, you've forgiven me. You haven't given me license to keep going on and sinning in that sin, but you've called me out of that sin and you've forgiven me of that sin. At some point, we have to acknowledge that we have a new nature. If sin still feels the same after Jesus I'm just going to go ahead and say that maybe you haven't met Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. Before Jesus, sin, is, sin feels good. I mean, you may not even call it sin. It's just stuff you do. And you know that you say things like, well, I'm not hurting anybody and blah, 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 blah. And you make all these excuses. But there's a part of you that knows the Bible speaks about the law of God being written on our hearts. I mean, we know. And then you meet Jesus and Jesus is all like, stop. And you're like, yeah, I should. And then you go back to that sin and it generally doesn't feel the same. There's an emptiness about it. I mean, there's a, a profound emptiness about it. Like, what? This used to make me feel better for so much longer and now it just feels like nothing. Like there's a fleeting moment of pleasure and then it's gone. And now I feel even more empty than before I started. At some point, you've got to realize that that's by design. God has given you a new nature so that you would feel that emptiness, that you would feel that and go, man, this is, I got to stop running to this cistern that isn't holding any water anymore. I got to stop running to this well that I dug out myself that has no water in it, expecting it to be full to find only that it's empty and not even just empty, just like bone dry. And I have to learn to run through my new nature to the well that's overflowing, to the well that's being poured out upon us. Uh, living waters, Jesus calls, us, calls himself. To realize that God's word is more than just a book. It's more than just a manual. It's more than just a history. It's, it's more than just pious saying. It's, it's, it's more than just, you know, an account of Jesus's, I mean, this is, this is the beginning and the end of our faith. The, the canon of scripture, the, the 66 some odd books that are written over, you know, millennia of time by 40 some odd different authors. I mean, this is, 
God speaking to his people consistently, revealing to us the main hero, Jesus. Um, this might sound like bragging. I, I don't mean it to be, but I don't know how else to describe it. So last night we get the call from Kristen and Justin. They might not be able to make it. So, um, you know, it's late at night, and, and so Sarah's going to take the kids uh, this morning. That was the plan. And so I decided, well, I'll make her a lesson plan. Muir's have their whole, like, system set up. Um, but we don't know where they're at, so we don't want to interrupt that, so we'll just, or disrupt that, so we'll, we'll just make something. So I thought, well, I'll just teach the kids what we're learning. Like, just make it different. And so the lesson was God has given us superpowers. My favorite superhero, Superman. Um, he has, he's an alien. I don't know if you guys know that. Came from planet Krypton. And here on this planet, because of the sun and everything else, he has super strength, heat vision. He can see really far. He can hear a lot of stuff. Frost breath. Uh, there's nobody who can take him down. Nobody. Favorite superhero. Um, but that's all fiction, right? In the canon of Superman, Superman's the hero. In the canon of the Bible, Jesus is the hero. Instead of just him himself having super, superpowers, the Bible says he emptied himself of those things so that he could walk like us, that he could die for us, so that one day he could give us the superpower of loving other people. Loving other people beyond the capacity that we have to love them. Oh, it's easy to love those who love us, right? Jesus said the same thing. You know, anybody can love somebody who loves them. You know, if, you're, if your wife is always rubbing your back and making you food and running your errands and make sure the house is clean and, you know, she's putting gas in your car and she's, you know, calling your doctor for you and she's just doing all these things. for. I mean, it's easy, easy to love a wife like that, right? Husbands, you know, or wives, I should say, your husband does the laundry and, takes care of the kids and never is like, let me help you. He's just like, let me do this because this is what we need to do. It's never about those are your duties and these are my duties. And he, he makes you feel secure and he takes care of you and loves you. I mean, that's easy. But what about every other instance? What about when the kids are going nuts? And what about when there's no money in the bank and when every aspect of a relationship is just crumbling? What, what about then? It's in that moment where you need that superpower, right? Now, I wasn't going to use the, the husband and wife analogy with the kids. I'd kind of be over their heads. But how do you love someone who's hurt you? How do you love somebody who's betrayed you? How do you love somebody who is now your enemy? Jesus says anybody can love somebody who loves you, but what about somebody who hates you? What about somebody like Bill Mahar, who hates Christians? hates Christianity, hates Jesus. Goes on TV, publicly declares these things without shame. And you're like, I'll, I'll show him a thing or two. I'll give him a piece of my mind. No, Jesus says, love him. What about this guy, that guy, I mean, whatever. What about, what about the people in ISIS right now? Who are literally, I mean, literally, this is not metaphorical. This is not way over there. This is, they're, they're literally cutting the heads off of Christians. I've never seen somebody's head cut off, but I imagine it's not pretty. 
And the Bible says to love your enemy. I can't think of a more enemy, enemy, like a, a, a more, an enemy that has more enemy traits than that. What about the people who are taking the gospel right now and twisting it for their own gain, for their own popularity, for their own prominence, for their own platform, for their own prosperity? Oh, just angers you, right? Like, who even are they? Who are they to manipulate the people of God with the word of God for their own gain? Do they have no fear? The Bible says, pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. Now, Jesus showed love for his enemies. How did he show love to the Pharisees who were his enemies? He would say things like, brood of vipers. Actually, that was from John the Baptist. You brood of vipers. Sometimes the most loving thing you could do is tell somebody, you know, you're... you're you shouldn't be doing that. Oh, you're being judgmental. Better me than the Lord. Better me to tell you to stop doing that thing than the Lord to tell you to stop doing that thing because I guarantee you it will hurt a lot more when he tells you. There's this old, I don't know how true this is, this old picture of uh, a shepherd and a sheep and, and, and when a sheep keeps wandering and going astray, the 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 way shepherds would do this in the past was to take the sheep and break its front legs. Um, ouch. Like, <laughs> that doesn't sound great. As a result, though, the shepherd would have to carry around that sheep until he was healed. And the end result was that sheep would never run away again because we had developed such a bond with that shepherd, it would just stay by his side. Um, there are times where our, our spiritual legs are going to be broken. God's going to break us so that we learn a lesson that we couldn't learn any other way. It's not a punishment, it's a discipline. He's going to carry us the whole time. And when we're done with that, man, we'll be closer to him than we ever have. But Pastor Tony, it hurts. You don't understand. No, you're right, I don't understand, and I agree with you, it probably hurts but there will be a fruit that will come from this moment that you cannot get any other way. And when you get to that point, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Okay, I'm not, I'm not that person anymore. I'm a new creation, just like the Bible says. Like, this is me now. Remember who you are. Don't let Satan, the world, or sin tell you otherwise. You're a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. You now have the command to go and love others, to love your brothers and sisters, to love the world, and to go and to serve them. And you have now access to the power to do so when you don't feel like doing it. When it doesn't feel good, when somebody is reviling you because you're just trying to love them. You ever had somebody just get mad at you because you try to love them? It's confounding, right? You're like, I just want to love you. And they're just like, no. Might hurt. Still what we're called to do, amen? Let's stand. We have as a church in our country done a really good job of saying a lot of things and now we need to add to it the actions 
We should love each other. Okay, so now we've got a couple with that actually doing it. How can we do that? How about just a simple encouraging word? Hey, I like you. <laughs> hey, you're, you know, you brought that dish to the Pollock. That was really good. Got a recipe for that? Hey, I noticed that you guys, uh, you guys are struggling. Could, could I just bring you dinner? Could I, can me and my family just do something for you? Can I, you know, don't make a big show of it. Don't, don't invite the whole church to watch you do it. Just, hey, I just, I stood back and saw, man, you need some help. Can I help you? Sarah and I just came back from California and we had a great trip, great flight out there, great flight back until the last transfer. We landed in Baltimore and we got on the plane. Not a tiny plane, but smaller. It was in Fahrenheit, about 137 degrees in that plane. And there was a young mom with two kids and I don't know how long she'd been traveling, but from the looks of the child, um, the child was done traveling. Done being hot. She was doing everything in her power. She was just like super calm. I just watched her the whole time and I was like, I had a snap 30 minutes ago. Guy gets on the thing. Uh, too much mail on the plane and we're going to you know, be here for a while till we reweigh it and get it all done. And... And so we, I watched it. Unbeknownst to me, because Sarah and I had to go in separate seats, Sarah's watching her too. And we're both like marveling. And, and I don't know how many people there were like, I wish that kid would just shut up already. I wish, you know, who, you know it's hot in here and I got to get to this place, blah, blah. And on top of that, this kid's screaming on top of its lungs. And so we went up afterwards and we both, like I said, we both didn't know. We both went to her and was like, need help with anything? Like, can we help you carry your bags? And not just us, like another lady come up too and she was like, can we help you in any way? Because we knew what that woman needed was not somebody coming and telling her, why can't you just shut your kid up? Why can't you tell him to be quiet? What they needed, what she needed was somebody to come alongside her and say, hey, do you need some help? Just look around. Where's God putting you? Look at the people that you're, and if you're like, I wish they would do this. Maybe, maybe if you went and said, hey, can I help you with this? Maybe that would change a lot of things. How can you love people? Start with loving Jesus, letting him love you, and then watching him bring you opportunity after opportunity to do that for other people. Let's pray. Jesus, um, we have the capacity to love, but we don't have the capacity to love by you or love like you. Uh, as we look at the cross and we see what you've done for us, this is um, not something we can do yet. It's something you've called us to. And so I'm praying now, Lord, for all of us, myself included, um, for the ability to love others the way that you have loved us. Now, I know from your word that we already have that. We're praying for something that we already have. It's already been promised to us. It's already been dealt to us. But Lord, it's hard to take it from a place of, of having to exercising, and that's what we want. We want to, as the church in this area, to be the example of agape love 
not just to whom we don't see, your son Jesus, but to the community of believers whom we do see. Father, I'm praying that, that now that you would give us fresh eyes to see the opportunities to love others. Lord, I thank you that today we stand in confidence, not in of our own performance and what we've done, but in what you have done for us, that we no longer fear punishment because as Romans 8 and 1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That, that wrath that hung above our, above our head is gone now because Jesus took it for us. And so I pray today, Lord, begin nothing short of a revolution within our souls and spirits and within our homes and our communities that we begin to love like you loved and like you love us today. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And may this be more than words today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, we love you. Thank you. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, don't forget to mark your calendars on the, for the dates that are coming up. If you need prayer or have any questions, come on out. Uh, come on up to the altar. We'll be here for a few minutes. Um, otherwise, God bless you. We'll see you on Wednesday. Amen? Amen. Amen.